My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 128 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! Sweet baby divas. Yeah, we made it. 128. Man, every episode's like a milestone at this point. It's like, yeah. yeah. Who knew yeah. when we were sitting at your house on Dickinson Street in South Philadelphia? Mm, nope. Reed. That here would we nope. meet Ninth on and Reed. Reed Street, 9th and Dickinson in Reed. South Philadelphia. We'd be here on computers. It's the future, Liam. We made it. We had one recorder from John Paul Golaski, friend of the show and former guest. And uh, that's all we had. And lo and behold, here we you are. You always get this wrong. The first recorder we had was from my stepdad. John Paul didn't give us his recorder. Oh, so yeah. we were your like dad, Your stepdad 20, had the H4. Yeah, we were like 20, 30 episodes in before John Paul even hooked us up. And Whatever, we man. John never Paul's even the best. used that recorder. It was stolen by someone, if you remember. <laughs> I will go into that it's, on air. <laughs> it's still awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, the point is that we're 128 episodes in, and that shit yeah. is dizzle. I love it. It's great. Have I it's told, my favorite have, thing. Have, have I told you that Maeve cannot pronounce her last name? She can't say O'Donnell? She is Maeve O'Donnell. Oh, that's how my dad says it. O'Donnell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. O'Donnell. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's like an O sound at the end. I think she just has trouble hitting L's very hard, you know? Mm. I mean, again, yeah. she's four, y'all, so like, please be understand. She doesn't have a speech impediment. She's just young. And so she's trying to figure out, I mean, she still hasn't figured out um, I, you know? Like, she's she still says- Like the letter I or the word I? The word I. She still says me. How oh, me oh, how okay, how okay. me going how me going do that, Dado? And I, and I oh, I just wow. I just don't have the fucking uh, the fucking online white boy in me to be like, actually, honey, it's I, actually, honey, <laughs> actually, Dave, it's it, you say I actually, like I just can't. Wow. I, I, I mean, I'll correct some things like like I I've been trying to correct her. She, she uses all the meals interchangeably. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner are just not snacks. So like there are two kinds of meals for her. Meals she enjoys, those are called snacks or treats, and then meals that she doesn't enjoy and that's all the other meals. So for her, <laughs> the time of day doesn't matter. It's just not a treat. So she'll like she'll be like, "Oh, you know, what me going to do after lunch?" And I'm like, uh, "Dinner. It's dinner time actually." <laughs> And again, I, I'm only making that distinction not to be like a you know not to be like well actually to my own daughter, but uh, really just to help her understand times of day because especially if she takes a nap, she she has real trouble distinguishing between naps and bedtime. So she'll wake up and be like, "Oh, it's a new day," and I'm like, "You've been asleep for an hour. It's been one hour. It's not a new day. It's not tomorrow. It's one hour." You know, but she yeah. That's a, that's how my Lottie's had to be with me since I lost my job. Yeah, and the funny thing is, my dad does not have a speech impediment, but I get the not correcting thing. Yeah, because yeah, my yeah. parents, my parents both think that your name is Leo. Leo, <laughs> my dad. Yeah, my dad will be like, Joey, how's your friend Leo O'Donnell? It's <laughs> like, oh, he's fine, Dad. Leo's <laughs> doing great. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be all well. Actually, Dad, his name is Liam. With an M at the end, much like the guy from Oasis. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I, I don't. I mean, I definitely prefer that to Leo Danello or whatever it was that fucking Laura was saying. 
Uh, what do you mean, Laura? What, what, what you mean, me and Laura were saying, Don Leo? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. That's you your, can both eat my actual brown eye. How about that? Yeah, that is your actual gangster name when you're when you're in these streets, and I'm not mad at it. Don uh, Leo. When I'm in the streets, my name is L A O'Donnell. <laughs> All right, everybody knows that. L A O'Donnell. You must have missed the episode of Harvest where we talked about that. That's a whole thing, and I'm not going to get into it. But no, that's good. Uh, you know, I don't listen to podcasts, Liam. Please. I know, I know, I know. So I know. 2016. I'm hey, over. so on this episode, <laughs> <laughs> on this episode, we're going to be discussing uh, two documentaries. One of which is a series of which we've seen the first two episodes. The other is a film. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, two 2020s, right? Like just last year's uh, uh, community, or no. Damn. Collective? Collective, thank you. Why did it's I want to say 2019, actually. The, the, the release date on, um, on IMDb is 2019. I think that must have been just in Europe, because it has. Not, it's still not widely available here in America. Like, the copy mm. that we watched is technically a screener. Like, I don't think it's, mm. like, out, out here. But, um, yeah, Collective, it's a Romanian film, documentary. Uh, there was a, a, you know, quick synopsis, big fire, people burnt. Then they died in the hospital because the hospitals are bad. Uh, yeah. We'll get into that. And then we're also talking about um, a not yet released docuseries on PBS called Philly DA. Uh, it played at Sundance. So we felt like, I know we don't usually cover TV on this show, though we do talk about it sometimes. Uh, but A, it played at Sundance, y'all. So, you know, take it up with Sundance. And B, uh, we have a connection to Philly DA. What is it, Josh? What is our connection to Philly DA? That our connection to Philly DA. Much like many of our amazing connections here at Cinepunks. Sure. Is all my fault. <laughs> and <Stop>. in that <laughs> Philly DA prominently features all-star bass player, cross keys band dad, and vicious litigator Andrew Welbrock. Yep, Andrew Wilbrock. Who is uh, actually, yeah, he's ADA. He's assistant district attorney to Larry Krasner. The, the documentary we're going to be talking about, Philly DA, is about Krasner, um, basically what happens to a city when um, an elected official is an actual activist is basically what that story is. So it's an it's a eight-part series, I believe. Yeah, right? and we've, we've only seen the first two, but there's a lot going on in those first two episodes that I think is worth yeah. talking about. And, uh, you know. super good. I I know for some people you might just be like, well, I'm just not really interested in that. But trust me, it's it's interesting, and I think there's a lot there, and it will be something that I think people will be talking about. Yeah. Also, the the movie is directed by Philly people. Um, two people, one person named uh, Ted Passon and another person named Yoni Brooks or Brooke. It's just one Brooke. I think Yoni it's just Brooke. the one. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So um. So yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about there, and it's pretty cool. Before we jump into that or do our famous segment, uh, which will remain unnamed for now, we want to really quick. The uh, we, of course, want to thank you, the listener, and uh, everyone who supports the show. We've gotten a lot of uh, retweets lately for new shows that we're doing and new things going on. So we want to thank everyone for that. Uh, we also want to thank our patrons. Without your support, there would be no Cinepunks, not just this show, but the whole family of shows. Y'all help us pay our hosting fees. You help us pay for advertising. And we're hoping to grow the patronage to a point where we can start paying podcasts and writers on the site. Uh, we have three new uh, patrons I wanted to thank by name. One is uh, a gentleman named George Kittemeyer. Oh, that's my stepdad. Thanks. Thanks, stepdad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Oh, that's my stepdad, Liam O'Donnell. Might as well, <laughs> yo, so I might as well be transparent. I'm not going to pretend. But I didn't know. <laughs> it, it was really true. Like, I got the thing, like, three new patrons. I was like, oh, sick. And I opened it up. I'm like, ah, oh, this one's a relative. And I'm like, well, it's still cool. <laughs> well, George, though you're not related to me, I appreciate it. Yeah. Just so you know. At least one out of two of us. I also want to thank Love uh, you. Josh Spininga, who, by the way, uh, Josh, who I, who I don't think I know. I don't know if you know him, uh, Josh Benito, I don't. New Sporter. He also let us know uh, just the other day when we put out a new horror business that the audio was messed up, and no one else hit us up till the next day, Chris Reject, which thank you, Chris Reject, as well, for letting us know. But Josh hit us up immediately, and that was really helpful. And it's I love when that happens, not that there's audio issues, but that I know someone's listening right away, and so they were able to let us know. And it wasn't like a tweet on the It was like a private message like, Ayo, this this is going on and we were able to fix it and we really appreciate you for letting us know. And uh, last person, Jason Arch. Now, of course, I have no idea, as you know, Josh, if those people mm. are Cinepunks listeners, maybe they're horror business listeners, maybe they're Evil Eye fans. That's the thing about Cinepunks is we have such a diverse family of shows. Uh, and so uh, if you are a patron and you're listening uh, to this show and this is the show that you particularly love, let us know or let us know all the shows that you enjoy. Um, that will help us know as far as getting you benefits. If we have shirts for shows or if we're going to do a Zoom hang, I can hit you up and let you know like this specific people will be on the Zoom hang, stuff like that. So uh, thank you patrons and uh you know we promise more things coming soon uh including something an event that i will be programming uh that we will not talk about on the show anyways uh we also want to of course <laughs> thank our sponsors lehigh valley apparel creations as i said chris reject is not just a sponsor he listens to the show and he let us know when hard business had an audio issue uh we love you chris on this show we say nice things about Chris Reject, and on Horror Business, we say mean things about Chris Reject, and that is the dichotomy of our relationship. But on this show, we say <laughs> Chris is great, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations is great. If you go to xlvacx.com, you can get stuff printed there. Josh, you've had things printed at LVAC before, right? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And uh, I sent my brother there, too, to, to do stuff for his jiu-jitsu school and stuff. So, And uh, we stand by all the stuff that they've made for us, and Chris is the best, and he truly is... Um, uh, a gem of a person. I'm really happy to be his friend. Yeah, I mean, like we, my whole business is based around the idea that Chris is going to do a good job for us. And the one or two times we've had issues that, you know, honestly weren't Chris's fault at all, he still went out of his way to like work with us to, to fix it. You know, recently there was a garment shortage and it was really hard to get just blank garments to print on. And Chris was like super responsive and really helpful. And like we had a lot of customers at Rough Cut that were understandably frustrated with the delay but Chris made things really transparent for us and really helped us get that communication out there so uh, the, you know the, they're the people you want to work with xlvacx.com hit up Chris Reject he'll help you out uh, who are our other sponsors Josh? Uh, our other sponsors are the good people at Essex Coffee Roasters, specifically Aaron Dobbeck, because that dude is also a gem of a person and he likes us. And um, if you want good coffee that is not for the elitist cast of people, <laughs> um, Essex Coffee Roasters is here for you. It's uh, delicious coffee um, and it's uh, it's roasted. It's it's. I don't really know much about coffee. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, wish I, I, I was I was like, how long do I let Josh dangle out here before I reveal the actual information? Uh, Essex 
roast to order. What that means is that you are getting the freshest possible coffee. Um, they do deal in specialty coffees. They have a wide variety of roasts and uh, you know both single origin and um, combinations. They also deal in tea. Uh, they have a variety of herbal teas. And they also have sick merch. Uh, we, we teased on an episode that we might be doing a specialty coffee with them for Cinepugs. That's still a thing. Aaron texted me immediately and said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And it's just been me. I've been so busy between uh, cutting my finger and being a dad <laughs> uh, that I haven't been able to do it. Um, I really messed up my finger, y'all. We, we don't need to get into it. That's on my whack. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. okay. uh, but Essex, go to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. And the important thing here, it's not the only important thing, but it is an important thing. You can get a 10% discount when you enter the code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Here's the thing. Maybe you don't even like this show. Maybe you're just listening to it like because someone's making you listen to it. That doesn't matter. Use the code. <laughs> I would rather you use the code. Everyone should go to Essex and use the code. Even if you hate us, like you're hate listening to this right now going, man, these motherfuckers, go use they the code. They don't know shit. I get need you- 10% off on yeah. specifically roasted coffee to my liking. Yeah, go Boom. get that 10% off. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. You're All welcome. right, so... We got to do the thing, Josh. And I got to be honest here. I know we're 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 feeling a little rough today. We're feeling a little like you know our our rough edges are out. I don't feel prepared because I forget what the name of the segment is. So I need you to help me remember. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like if we if we close our eyes, and 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 you know, wish really hard, we might be able to come up with the name of this segment that is not only internationally known, yeah, but locally respected. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Internationally known, locally respected segment of the Cinepunks podcast. And I believe we call it. Get on track. track. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. That's all right. It it brings me joy. I don't give a shit. You know, we're, we're, hey, 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 listener. Hey, listener. Hey, hey. We're, We're in different fucking time zones here, okay? Yeah, we are. And yeah, we, don't, we are. We don't We're still even covered have, in snow. We don't even have video up. It is weird that you all have so much, like especially like the Lehigh Valley. Like moving here and having all this snow, I thought, man, this is this is so different than the valley. Meanwhile, the valley's getting as much snow as we are, which is crazy. <laughs> they got like three feet of snow the other day. That's like that. Literally, the only time it snowed that much the whole time I lived there was the first year I lived there. It's there was one day yeah. it snowed like four feet. It was crazy. Anyways, uh, still. It, it is still warmer there, though, than it is here because it's Arctic here. It's crazy. I've never experienced anything this cold. Okay, whacking on track. <laughs> Who's going first, Josh? Me or you? You can go. I want to hear about this finger. All right. First, let's do the whack. Uh, y'all, I cut my finger real bad. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to turn this into a, a little bit of an on track. Um, I do a thing sometimes called bespoke post, which is like, the ultimate of like bougie hipstery things. It's like a week we curate fancy shit and we sell it to you for slightly cheaper than it would cost if you bought it new. And, uh, and you can decide if you want the thing or not. And I end up skipping more than I get because we just don't have that much money. But when something's nice, I'll get it. And they had a nice set of knives. So I was like, oh, we need new knives. So we got the new knives. And this knife is the sharpest thing I've ever seen in my life. I've already cut myself with this knife a couple times, just not, Deep, just superficial. However, the other night I was cooking. I was trying to cook. Uh, specifically, Suze doesn't like bones, so I was 
taken a pork chop off the bone for her. And I put the knife down. And you know how it is when you put something down and it's not weighted correctly. So when you put your hand away, it starts to lean over to fall. And that's yeah. what happened with this knife. And instead of letting it fall on the floor, I reached for it. And within a second, it was embedded in my fucking pointer finger. So I lost it. I went nuts. I had to, and and of course, uh, you know, one of the things in a marriage is figuring out how to communicate with your uh, partner the depth of a situation without doing it in a way that will freak out your four-year-old. So it's like, how do I communicate to Suze that I'm losing my shit so that she does things very quickly without doing it in a way that makes Maeve like lose her shit? And smoke uh, signals, smoke signals. We definitely, we definitely um, succeeded in the Maeve thing. Maeve didn't even realize I was hurt till the next fucking day. So like, good job. However, <laughs> it took some time for Suze to get the gauze and shit that I needed because I think she thought like, oh, he cut himself or whatever. And I was like, getting my jacket on, and she's like, wait, where are you going? I'm like. Uh, the ER, I am fucked here. Like, this is not whatever. So, I, okay, I, here, here's the thing there are a couple things that are important to the story that I feel yeah. are totally germane. Number yeah. one, listeners of the show, I am unsure if you're aware. Liam is a fucking wonderful chef. That's I true. know that because I spent a weekend with him in uh, Bushkill for the first Cinepunks retreat, aka the Thrilla in Bushkilla, and Liam made a pork shoulder out of thin air. I don't even know how it happened. And it was amazing. Like, I can think about it now and remember what it tastes like. It was that good. What was crazy about that so, pork shoulder, too, is I've never done that recipe I used before. And I haven't done it since. And I can't remember what I did. Oh, <laughs> my God. It was that's like the balsamic kind of chef I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, dude, there was like some balsamic something going on. And then there was yeah, some yeah, roasted yeah. ass, like, sweet potato in there. Yeah, It yeah, was yeah, yeah. so good. Even Evo, uh, who was with us at the Thriller in Bushkill, was like, yo, that was a good ass pork shoulder, though. I was like, word, right? Like, that shit was amazing. So, um, yeah. So, Liam injuring himself in what can only be described as a cooking mishap. You know that whatever he was cooking was going to be dope and bomb as shit. Oh, Just I know. Saying. And I re- when, I got to the, when I got to the hospital and I was like, I had to, like, have them check my sugar because I left without eating. So, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but I, 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 and when I got home, I was so hungry and I had to heat up my dinner. It was sad. And it turned out Suze didn't even have the dinner because when she went in to get the dinner, the pork was, was fine. Everywhere? The pork was fine. But the wall next to the pork had my oh, blood. No. My blood was Oh, my over. God. So, she just Dude. was like, she literally was like. I just couldn't eat the pork. And especially because the pork, it was roasted pork chops, and I had covered them in paprika. So even though there was no blood because they were, like, cooked well, you know, I'm not serving uncooked pork per, to my family, but uh, but they were covered in paprika, so they looked very red, and she just oh, couldn't get it out of her head. Sweet baby Yeah, Jesus. it was a, it was a real it Here, was a Here's real another thing that I think is germane to the issue. Uh, Liam, as listeners of Horror Business will know, Liam has taken it upon himself to bombard me and fellow podcaster on the network, Dana Belletier, with TikToks. It's true. Right? I, I send you guys TikToks Liam a lot. loves sending us TikToks. At first, I was like, Liam must be sending these to us when he's pooping. Thus, my only question is, man, what? how much fiber are you eating in the course of a day that you're sending us so many TikToks? But um, I've refused categorically to participate in this TikTokery. Because I'm like, no, I can't do it, dog. I, I'm already on all the things. This is one more thing that I just will not be on. 
And um, then Liam sent us a picture of his figure that had been mangled by his uh, his cooking artistry. And yeah. it, it revolted me so much that I signed up for TikTok. So now if you need to follow <laughs> someone on TikTok, my name is at Liam Does Not Rule. And um, you can find me there and I will not post shit. That's just how I do. So, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. I don't yeah, post anything man. either. I tried to post one vicious. video and it was bad. Anyways, point yeah, is, I had to drive. Yeah, I had to drive myself to the hospital. I got eight stitches. I had to drive myself home, and now I can't. Like, I need to go buy rubber gloves so that I can take a shower because for three days you can't get the finger wet. So, like, how do I do that in the shower? So, I think either I could tie a plastic bag, but I, I don't think that's that effective. I think I need to do a rubber glove and a plastic bag, and then take a shower. Because like I yeah. can't get the stitches wet. It's like it's a nightmare. It's like literally. I mean, it's not the end of the world. Like I could have hurt myself way worse, considering how sharp this knife is. Like I probably could have sliced my finger off, honestly. <laughs> but sorry, but sorry. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's not fun, and it was not. It, it hurt. You know, the the worst part about getting stitches for me is the needles they give you, so it doesn't hurt. Are so painful. Like it's like they're like, they're like they literally go a bit of a pinch and a burn, and you're like that is more than that, lady. Like that is torture right there. Anyways, that's enough about that. I don't want to gross people out anymore. Um, right, right. All right, right, right. on track. Uh, well, okay. So I want to bring up. I just finished literally like this morning. Finished uh, one night in Miami. Uh, directorial uh, feature length directorial debut from uh, Regina King. Uh, it is a film. It's like a based off a play that's a fictionalized, you know, uh, Malcolm X, uh, Muhammad Ali when he still Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, and uh, uh, Jim Brown are all in a hotel together the night after uh, Clay defeats Sonny Liston and uh, in Miami, and they're just having a conversation. And it's clear that it's not real. I, hopefully, it's clear for people that it's not real. This didn't happen this way, uh, but you know, it's an opportunity to sort of like have these historical figures in conversation with each other. It's definitely based off a play. I think the movie does a good job of making it more cinematic in that there's other settings and stuff. It doesn't feel sometimes filmed play, you know what I mean? Like films based off a play can feel claustrophobic. They don't like Mm. have dynamic movement to them. I think this one does better Mm. with that. I could be wrong. Some people I read reviews on letterbox where people were a little unimpressed with that aspect. I thought it was great. I thought the performances were great. Uh, I guess I would say the guy who plays Muhammad Ali has he. It's tough for him, right? Because because this is a guy. This is a a figure that's still very much in the public imagination. Uh, I would say, and who has been portrayed by other people very well. So it's difficult to probably make to that roll performance. Back that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so you know, Will Smith played on Muhammad Ali. Like, yeah, yeah I get yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. that's a titan you got to go against. Yeah, that's a I, lot. I, I happen to really like the portrayal of Malcolm X. I think some people don't. It's less, whereas Denzel Washington's performance is mostly fire and then some quiet. This is a much more emotional Malcolm X than I think uh, we're used to mm. seeing. But from what I understand, is not inaccurate for that. And he does have his very fiery moments in the film as well. So, you know, it's just mm. a different take on the performance. It is worth keeping in mind these are all, real people so there's a fidelity to the reality of them but also this is completely fictionalized so if you're if you're too hung up on like how real their performances are you're kind of missing the point because it's not a historical this didn't fucking happen so you know that they're there to be compelling in this role more than they are to like be a 
carbon copy of the person, you know? Actual, so, yeah, 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 yeah. And and I thought that all the performances were strong in their own right. I do think that the guy who played Muhammad Ali sometimes goes a little too much, like I'm doing an impression, you know? But but he still mm. has moments that are very real. So it's 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 not a total. It's not like he failed. It's just his is yeah. the one performance that I felt like could use a little bit of work. So, anyways, all that mm. said. Uh, I've talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but I'll say it on the show too. Uh, one of the first books I read that was like a serious book for adults that like really moved me was the autobiograph- autobiography of Malcolm X, and it fucking destroyed me. I was probably like 13 or 14 at the time, and uh, I remember just weeping uh, at the end of it. And uh, I'm pretty emotionally connected to that that narrative and the ways that this movie kind of hints at what's going to happen uh, without – getting there till the very end sort of you know as a as a as a card uh but there's you know the idea that he was very aware that something terrible was going to happen to him um but the people around him weren't necessarily all thinking that um it just was very affecting for me i couldn't actually finish the film in one sitting i had to like turn it off last night and come back to it this morning because it was just too much for me and i get that that's not how it's going to be for everyone some of the reviews on letterboxd is pretty clear that some people weren't emotionally moved by the film like they thought it was good but it didn't like affect them but you know by the time we have sam cook singing um change is gonna gonna come come. i'm weeping like a fucking baby like i just can't (laughs) it's just too much for me and so i i I get that like maybe my critical faculties like one of the things we uh, you know are clear on the show is like emotional responses are important but then we also are clear that like you could maybe be so emotionally affected by something you don't notice the flaws of the filmmaking, that's where I'm at. It is entirely possible that there are aspects of the filmmaking here that aren't perfect. Like I, I, I see that review from people and I accept that intellectually, but I was so emotionally into the film that I couldn't be that critical of it. To me, it was like mm. the directing was good, the writing was good, the whatever. It's a little didactic, but you know that's the point of the movie, right? Is that uh, Malcolm is so aware of the struggle and so aware of the crisis that they're facing that he takes what could be a just a celebratory post fight thing and makes it an opportunity to like you know talk to his friends and try to convince them of something and i think like Mm. that's an interesting place to be you know so i don't know i i liked it i liked it a lot i thought it was really great definitely on track uh i think especially for people who are interested in this moment you know, uh, again, don't expect a completely historically accurate portrayal because this didn't happen. But if you want something that's like a compelling thought piece, it, it really worked for me and it made me super emotional. Uh, of course, if you watch the movies about Malcolm X or the movie about Ali, you're going to get a fuller story. But that's not what this is about, you know. Mm, so this is anyway. more of like a confluence of, of things. Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. An opportunity to like think through this possible, and I'm sure this conversation not in this form could have happened you know sam cook and malcolm x mm. didn't know each other but would they have actually had this conversation i don't know that's not really what this is about so anyways mm. I, I liked it a lot uh another thing i wanted to talk about because i kind of wanted your take on it i was listening to uh a podcast i like called las culturistas uh with uh mm. matt rogers and bowen yang uh and it's you know it's a cultural podcast with two comedians uh who mm. are you know they're them being very gay is part of the way that they talk about culture. And I love that. And, uh, 
they were talking about the Britney documentary, which I haven't had a chance to see. But one of the things they were talking about, Matt Rogers was talking about how he tweeted about how the way that we treated Britney uh, as a culture was very much about misogyny and patriarchy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the general response he said to pe- from people on Twitter was like, duh, like, no, duh, whatever, of course. Well, you didn't know that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And Bowen really nailed it when he was analyzing that response and saying, like, people, when you talk about culture, right, the larger cultural context, right, there's a a tendency from people, not universal, but it does happen, where people want to make sure you know that they weren't that. So, like, man, Mm -hmm. people treated Britney really unfairly. They want you to know, like, well, I didn't. I always knew. I I always knew that we were treating Britney... Well, that's not the fucking conversation, right? Like, cool, you, mm. one person, managed to treat Britney with respect with no power whatsoever. But the people who had power and cultural cachet, they didn't. And that's what we're talking about. And I think that's, again, not that I'm a huge Britney Spears scholar or anything like that, but that idea, I think it's worth talking about, right? Like, doesn't it make sense to you? Like, we can talk about things that culture did, right? With mm-hmm. the idea that this isn't about convicting what you did as a person. Like if I if I were to say, yeah, I think culture really did this and that about Britney Spears. I'm not talking about me. I'm like literally Britney's age, I think. Like I think we're the same age. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. I wasn't doing shit to Britney Spears other than like hearing the song on the radio. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, yeah. I wasn't creating media about her. I'm talking about culture. Like does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I mean like – I have seen the documentary, and uh, it it's it's definitely an indictment of sorts, right? Like right, all right. this, all of the hoopla surrounding Britney Spears and all that stuff. But also, it's like, I mean, it it shows the weird callousness of the ephemeral culture around that time, right? Right, and then people just trying to absolve themselves of that guilt. It's that's the true kind of heart of the show, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like right. people like coming right. after like. Like interviews like Barbara Walters and stuff like that, saying like "you are me, not Brittany," and all this other stuff. Like I get it, you know what I mean. And um, but I think you're right, man. Like a lot of people, it's like saying like um, how much I love Downset when when that first Downset record came out, and right. then going back to it now, you're like, did you really love this? Like that's a thing you loved? Like and then like no, 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 I didn't love it. Other people loved it, so you know I was there, but. It's like, nah, dog, I love that shit. Anger is hostility towards the opposition. That shit is still a thing that I loved. You know what I mean? And maybe it doesn't resonate as much as it does now or as yeah. it did then to yeah. me. But also that doesn't absolve you of your positioning and uh, of – but I mean well, also like, it's take, like – take, Well, it's like for me, it's like take something like Friends, right? Like if someone yeah. is, wants to say like, well, everyone was obsessed with Friends because we wanted to imagine a city without black people, right? I could take, <laughs> I could take that personally – because I wasn't obsessed with Friends. I've never fucking made it through a whole episode of Friends in my life. But it's not about me. Like, the idea that, like, every conversation about culture is about making sure that you're personally absolved is, like, again, yeah, I, no, I, I, think, I think as a podcast we've established that the vague, the inclination that people refer to as woke, we are somewhat on the same page with with the idea that we are pro-justice and representation and all that stuff. The part of it that I think people want to get to that's negative, that they say, well, this is all call-out culture, and I think they're they're wrong. That's not really accurate. But it is true that there's this part of culture that wants to say, well, just so you know, I personally am different than all these culture. Like, look, mm. I am personally against Iran-Contra, right? But who the fuck cares? I was a child. 
and all the yeah. benefits that we had as a society from Iran Contra, I had those same fucking benefits, right? Like for the mm-hmm. most part, um, I you could definitely argue that uh, uh, black folks didn't get those benefits because the drug war was in their community. You know what I mean? Or or other poor yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like uh, uh, the idea that like. All cultural conversations are about making sure I absolve myself of responsibility is the most reductive, stupid conversation. It doesn't mean anything because the culture police are going to come and put you on trial, motherfucker. Like, just admit this is what was happening. People were obsessed with Friends. People were obsessed with Seinfeld. Everybody wanted to be urban, but they didn't want any black people around. And that was what was happening. So like yeah. fuck you, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. Well, I think it's also though it's it's the same thing about just the conversation of wanting to interject yourself into something greater than yourself, right? right? Like think right. about sports fans that when their team wins, they're like, well, you know, we took the Super Bowl, blah blah blah, like all that stuff. It's like y'all didn't do anything. Y'all have to wake up and go to work tomorrow because you're not yeah. on a football team. You know well, what the, I mean? the but, sports like, things drives me crazy because every Super Bowl, you're like, okay, it's true that every Super Bowl there's nerds on Twitter being like. Super Bowl sucks. I get that. That's fine. And if you don't like that trend, whatever. But if you're on Twitter being like, you guys are really, you know, you, everyone's so negative about football and blah, 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 and acting like a victim, like there is sports is the most powerful cultural force in the world. It is more universal and ubiquitous than religion, and it has more resources than religion. It The only reason it doesn't is because of all the gold reserves of the Vatican. If you take away the, the, the gold reserves of the Vatican, which are just disgusting then literally sports has more power and money than any religion in the world you know what i'm saying like the mm-hmm. the, the idea that like uh, because a few nerdy dorks you know on the internet are complaining about football that suddenly being a football fan makes you oppressed or marginal is the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my life like sports is culture that is universal. There is almost mm. no country on earth that doesn't have a sport of some kind. It is the thing. Right, and right, right. when it comes to actual like the NFL, think of the millions and bajillions of dollars they have to just throw around for a game, right? So, like, mm. again, I get it if you don't want me to get on a soapbox and talk about the injustice of the NFL. That's fine. That's your that's your decision. But don't come around here like fucking beating the sad drum during the Super Bowl that like nobody likes me. And everyone's oppressing me. Get the fuck out of my face with that bullshit. It makes me incensed. And and, and especially yeah. when I interact with people, the, to me, the biggest hypocrites in the world are super sports fans who are also like super atheists and are like, I'm a free thinker. You've replaced one obsession with another. And, and that's just the reality. And especially with sports, because like clearly sports aren't as bad for things as you could argue religion is. Religion is really fucked up a lot of stuff. But just after religion, sports has done some damage as well. A lot of people's lives have yeah. been ruined. So, like, it's sports not... counts as a religion in a lot of this country for sure, especially I... closer to where you are. Like Midwest yes. culture yes. loves sports. Yes. Y'all motherfuckers love sports. I mean, I, I think it. It, I think <laughs> in a lot of places they conflate it. Right? Like, it's really easy to yeah. conflate both religion and sports together. Uh, we see that all the time. But in other words, look, I'm not out here to destroy sports or anything. But I'm just sick of the victim narrative. It's like when Christians complain on Christmas. They're uh, oh, I'm not allowed to say Merry Christmas. I'm being oppressed. Motherfucker, everyone celebrates Christmas in this country. There are literal, <laughs> like, there are there are literal people who are the children of Hindus and Jewish folks who are still celebrating Christmas because we live in America. Like, you are yeah. not oppressed, motherfucker. Like, no Christian in America is oppressed. Suck my whole taint. Like, get out of my yeah, face. Yeah, it's like, and say whatever the fuck you want. Who gives yeah. a shit, man? Oh, like, my God. I don't know. 
Anyways. Yeah, enough I, of that. Enough I of that. wanted yeah. to bring up that culture conversation because I think that applies to what we do here. Like, if I talk about a trending culture and you're like, well, that doesn't represent me because, I don't know, you're the punkest motherfucker who ever lived, cool, <laughs> then I'm not talking about you. You're you're a free thinker. You're the one man who stood alone or the one woman who stood alone. <laughs> Good for you. But I still think we can talk about culture as a whole and like understand we're not talking about universally. Like When everyone was obsessed as a culture in America with Michael Jackson, of course there were Michael Jackson haters. That's how culture works. Right, mm-hmm. like yeah. y- you're not even famous till someone hates you. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> that's the reality. So like, cool, you were one of the people who knew that the Backstreet Boys were a bad idea. Cool, so was I. I hated the Backstreet Boys. I'm not gonna pretend they weren't a cultural powerhouse or that I never heard the fucking songs. The songs were everywhere. They they were a part of my life. I hate them, and I know the words <laughs> of the songs. So like, get out of my face. You know what I mean? Like whatever. In any case, that's I still a, that's like all to I think got. that the Backstreet Boys are named after a Blitz lyric. That's yes. just me, well, in the night. Bl- Listen Blitz, to it. Blitz were very important, man. You never know. I'm just saying, man. Know. I'm just saying. Backstreet Boys with ugly faces, razor blades, and yeah, that, that line. That's yeah. where I think, you know. Backstreet Boys with boots and braces, razor blades, and angry faces. That's the line. Fucking love Blitz. God damn. Anyway. All right. I'm done with whacking on track. Why don't you jump in? All right. So whack, of course, is um world on track. So, um... Melani and I watched a bunch of movies from the Sundance Film Festival that I don't believe we had a chance to talk about on here yet. So I will give no, you a brief rundown on what it is that we saw. So the first movie that we watched was a movie called John in the Hole. Um, this movie is about a 13-year-old kid who, um, he's like affluent white boy, lives in a, like a big-ass suburban house that's surrounded by wilderness and um, his, he's got, like, his family, he's got his dad, his mom, and his sister in his family. And um, one day he drugs them all with his mom's Xanax or whatever, like, whatever sleeping pill. And he, there's a unfinished bunker on their property, and he lowers them all into this gigantic hole. And he leaves them there for two weeks. And during the whole time, they're like, Why, how did we end up down here? And he, like, made a pulley system to put them on the floor. And then, like, he wiles out. Like, he takes their credit card and, like, gets all this money and drives their cars like a 13-year-old kid. And, um, yeah, it was fine. Uh, so saw that. That was the first first movie for Sundance for me, Melani. Thought it was okay. Uh, the second movie was a movie called On the Count of Three, directed by Gerard Carmichael. And this movie I thought was amazing. I really, really loved it. The story's about this one dude who's like super depressed and he's in a psych unit. And um, it's right after he has a suicide attempt that he was unsuccessful at. And um, it starts with him talking to a therapist, which is a conversation that I've seen so many times given my work, like my previous work history. And um, then his homeboy, Gerard Carmichael, goes to visit him at the unit and is like, yo, man, like, you know, he's depressed too. And he's like, we should get the fuck out of here and kill kill ourselves. So like, yeah. So he busts his boy out and then they have this plan to like shoot each other in the head at the same time and all this stuff. And then Gerard can't do it. And you realize like, oh, they want to have like one last day to like, just like trip the life fantastic before they end their lives. And so it's a very grim premise. I think we'll all agree. Um, but I think it was uh, addressing issues of mental health in America that are in a very, um, very compassionate way, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's like probably one of my favorite movies of the Sundance Film Festival this year. I thought it was really, really good. First time director Gerard Carmichael, who has you know the Gerard Carmichael show and all that stuff. Like he's got a lot of like on screen history, but this dude was really, really good as a director. I thought that the movie was very good, and it looked it looked amazing, and it's I loved it. 
And then, okay, so the next movie we saw was a midnight movie called Mother Schmuckers. And it was, it's like a European movie. It's about, it's basically, it, I hated it. Okay, hate is, is kind of a hard word to say. It's, it's just a, a lot. It's like if Dumb and Dumber was directed by Gaspar Noé. Does that that sounds sense? great to me. Oh, but it is not great. It is the opposite of great. There's so many things that are just like not fun about it. And uh, it's meant to be like a weird slapsticky comedy. But just know that there's a lot of stuff in there that is just like it's it's not easy to recommend to anybody. Not so much a fan. And uh, I guess it just doesn't appeal to my sensibility. So that's what it was. And then the next movie was a movie called Censor. Do you know about this movie? No, I actually haven't heard of it. Oh my god. So Censor is a movie that takes place in England in the 1980s. So it's like that um you know that like weirdly like kind of progressive kind of like repressive society of England in the 80s and um this lady plays um it's directed by Prano Bailey Bond who um I believe is the she also is the the main oh no no she's not anyway um yeah prano bailey bonds the director um she's from wales then she you know she's been identified as like a director to watch or whatever so um she this lady this main character is a censor for the british film institute or british film board so she has to watch all these horror movies from the time and then she has to like edit them out so that they can like not have like an X rating or whatever. Like she's part of the ratings board. So the whole movie is her watching like Lucio Fulci movies and watching like Argento movies that are coming out at that time. And being like, I don't know, this is too much. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know if I like this. And like, she has to cut out stuff. So basically she's like the enemy of these film producers that are trying to put out these uh, video nasties. Cause th those are specifically the movies that they're talking about in this movie. And, um, it just shows like the movie ends up becoming like this weird unraveling of our protagonist because she's watching all this violent stuff while all of this stuff in her life is also going a little bit crazy too. And um, it's a pretty interesting, uh, it, it's told from a place of love and of reverence for those movies, but um, it's also an interesting like uh, statement on the, the state of violence in people's minds as, as per the media that they're subjected, they subject themselves to. So, um, Censor, high recommend. Super good movie. I really, really loved it. It is, at the end of the day, a horror movie, just so you know. And um, it's it's quite good. I really, really enjoyed it. And then um, the next movie we watched was a New Zealand movie called Coming Home in the Dark. Um, it addresses a lot of, like, it's it's a very dour movie. Like, I, I got to say, the, the midnight selections for Sundance this year weren't really my favorites. And um, Coming Home in the Dark is one of those movies that a lot of people really loved it. And uh, I d it did not so much resonate with me. It's a movie about these people, like they're on a family vacation. And it's a, a husband and a wife and two children that are like 15-year-old, like, you know, teenager kind. And then they're having a picnic in some New Zealand, like, Hobbit Hole countryside. And then these two, like drifter people come and they shoot the kids and they steal the car like this is all in the first five minutes and then they like begin to like psychologically torture the the husband and the wife and then you realize that there's like a reason behind them being targeted so on and so forth and i don't know again there's another movie that's just like dour and there's like there's a bunch of like uh, subtext to it that talks about like race relations in New Zealand and also about like you know the state of facilities for facilitated care for for children and all this other stuff and I get it 
But also, not so much my thing. Uh, the next movie we watched was a movie called Knocking, another midnight um, midnight movie for Sundance. And again, this is a movie about a lady who just gets released from a psych ward. I don't know why the psych ward stuff was super big in Sundance this year. but Yeah, okay. that's weird. And it, it's a thing. And she gets out and she gets put in a, in a, in like a housing, uh, like an apartment building. And it's part of, I, you get the sense that this is like the part of her treatment and all this other stuff. And it's cool. And then she hears like this knocking and there's like this perpetual like blood swell on her ceiling. And she starts trying to find out who's knocking and who's bleeding and all this other stuff. But she's exhibiting a lot of like truly florid, like floridly psychotic like features and all this other stuff. And then, you know, the end of the movie, you you realize like, you know, oh, she's not just going crazy. There actually was somebody trapped up there. I'm sorry to spoil it, but that's what it is. And um, it did not do it for me. I did not like that movie. But the next movie I saw was directed by uh, Kate Sang, and it's a movie called Marvelous in the Black Hole. Have you heard of this movie? No. Oh, my God. This movie was amazing. It's about a, an Asian teenage girl who's having a really hard time in, um, in her suburban life because her mom had passed away, and uh, she has a dad and an older sister, and she is just upset this this woman is mad and she's taking it out on the world so the dad is like well you know you can't just live this way and i can't have you in the house just being angry and and breaking things so he enrolls her in like these summer college classes and she ends up meeting um meeting the ex-wife of danny devito what's her ria perlman he ends up she ends up meeting ria perlman who is a magician and she does magic for little kids so uh despite the odds ria perlman takes her as like an apprentice and starts teaching her how to do magic and she shows her how like magic can be like or just any art in general can be like um an avenue towards self-healing and um, she basically teaches her magic, and this, like, saves her from being, like, an angry-ass, like, little kid. But uh, Kate Sang, she was a writer for um, Steven Universe, and she did a lot of, like, those, like, um, like young adult like, children cartoon shows and stuff like that. So there's, like, an inherent sense of whimsy in this movie that I just found so intoxicating. And it's, like, super I, – I won't say it's, like, the most, like um, – I mean, it is wholesome. There's nothing offensive about it, really. But um, it's it's such a good story. And I think it'll specifically resonate with people like me that are, like, you know, that were Asian and, like, you know, angry for some reason. And, like, that's just... I mean, like, granted, it's because of the death of her mother. But not some reason. Not some ambiguous some reason. But anyway, um, I just thought it was just super good and super fun. And I really, really loved it. And the performances are amazing. And I thought it was really, really good. Okay, and then the next movie was another midnight movie called Prisoners of the Ghostland. Um, and have you heard about this movie at all? No. Prisoners of the Ghostland is directed by um, the guy who directed Versus, Sono Soro, or what's his name? Um, yeah, yeah, Sono. yeah, 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 that guy. And it stars Nicolas Cage, and it was supposed to be set in <clears throat> the Wild West, and it's like basically a Western samurai movie, and uh. I can't really say anything about it other than it's fucking crazy balls. Like that shit is nuts. It's Nicolas Cage. He, he, I will say that in one scene he gets a testicle destroyed by an explosive. So that happens. And then he, he yells testicle. Um, it's (laughs) exactly what you would probably expect from a Nicolas Cage movie. That's directed by the guy who did verses in 2021. So yeah, that's a thing. And then we saw. 
which is uh that's a brutal movie um female direct movie it's kind of a rape revenge movie it's also very uh uncomfortable it's a bummer it's a good movie but it's not a movie that i can like suggest someone watch because there's a lot of content in there that's like very triggering and it's very upsetting but a good movie nonetheless and then we took oh yeah the the last movie we saw was well we saw philly da which we'll be discussing today and then the last movie we saw was uh Oh, actually, no, that was it. That was the end. So, yeah, so that's what I saw at Sundance. And uh, high recommend for On the Count of Three and uh, Marvelous in the Black Hole. And I love those two. And then we also saw St. Maud, which was not part of Sundance, but was uh, the new horror movie from A24. And I really liked it. Super good. So that's yeah, I'm, I'm actually halfway through it. I haven't finished it yet, but so far it's really good. I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's very, uh, it's very dark, but it's really good. And, uh, you know, given our, our penchant for dark things, that's definitely right up our alley so you know a24 doing it again but yeah so that's what i got boom <laughs> done and done sorry i was rambling a lot but i did see a lot for for sunday so you know it's cool the whole thing was um the whole thing was put online so it was kind of a interesting thing because like even though it was like virtual film festival which we've done for chattanooga film festival yeah, yeah like yeah. um things sold out so like there was only so many people so much that you could see without like you have to get the tickets still and like things would sell out so that they wouldn't show them so uh, or, or that you wouldn't be able to get in to see them you know which is kind of a bummer so um but yeah, for the most I, part i think we saw what we liked and yeah. I, I do appreciate all the movies that we managed to watch and um me and melani had a good time i think there's a whole thing where distributors are worried that if too many people see it as part of the festival, then no one will pay to see it later, which mm. I think in this sort of time period is a little silly to be worried about, but I get it. Like there's a lot of money at stake here. So people are going to do what little they can to protect their investment. But yeah, this, this happens. At oh, film. wait, there was one other movie I saw called land directed oh. by Robin Wright. And um, so, uh, you know, Long-time listeners of the show know that whenever me and Liam see a movie about white peril, at the end of the movie, when everybody's like either clapping or groaning, we're, we just lean over to each other and go, white people. Am I right? So this is a movie about Robin Wright's character who um, she experiences some trauma and then she goes into like the mountainous woods, gets rid of her car, and she lives in the woods. And um, she at first does it really poorly. And then like a dude helps her that is kind of like in the woods and then she becomes good at it, and then she just lives in the woods, and she gets a dog. It's it's a thing. Um, it's one of those where, like, you know, she has a life in a city and all that stuff, but because of this, like, uh, this trauma of losing, like, a family, you know, she um, she goes to the woods, and she's uh, the rich lady that lives in the cabin that has, like, no running water and an outhouse, and, like, you know. Um, the nature photography of the movie is good, and I think that the, the narrative arc of her... Um, her becoming who she becomes by the end of the movie is good. But again, it's one of those movies that's like, it's cool. It's fine. It's a good movie. And it's it, her commitment to the role and to directing it is admirable. But again, we've seen into the wild. We've seen like these stories about, you know, white people being like, I'm going to live in the woods. Like I get it. You know what I'm saying? So even though it'll probably get a lot of critical acclaim and it'll probably be like the movie that everyone's like, Oh shit. Did you see the new Robin Wright movie? It's, also kind of a movie that left me feeling like yeah but you're rich dog like you could just like i don't know pay someone to do something like i don't really know how rich people do it but i imagine getting rid of all of like the amenities of 20th century living and living like 
in a cabin in the woods. Probably not the only way towards emotional healing. Just saying. I don't know. It seems to be the narrative for a lot of these movies that where it's like, yo, man, white people are crazy. Like, I just don't get it. You know what I'm saying? So, okay, whatever. So, Land, that was the last movie you saw. And it was good, but again, the, there's a caveat there. So, you know, just saying. That's what I got, Liam. <laughs> are you sure there's not something else? I mean, there's a bunch of music stuff, too, but, you know. <laughs> the well, life of an unemployed Joey is a hard style. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of culture, a lot of cultural yeah. intake. So, yeah. you know, sorry, guys. Sorry. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know why I'm technically also unemployed. So why don't I have a ton of free time? I need to figure this out. I need to make well, we more have time. no children is the other part. You you oh, are it, your job is raising a four year old currently and oh, that right. is the, the most important job of society. So you know I don't know do if I believe don't. I don't know if I believe that. If so oh, I one hundred percent believe that. If yeah, someone yeah. if someone solved world hunger, I think they were more important than me. But uh, I mean I guess you're <laughs> right. If you if you do anything that just makes money in and of itself, then I guess raising a child is more important than that. But I think people who are paid to help people, I think that's actually slightly more important depending on how helpful it is. That's that's my view on it. Um, okay, Fair well enough. let's take let's take a break and then we'll come back. I guess we'll talk about collective first. Sure. And then we'll talk about Philly DA starring Andrew Welbrock, Esquire. Starring. After the break. Starring Andrew. Starring. It's a, it's a documentary series about our friend Andrew Welbrock and his helper. Yeah. Krasner, <laughs> D.A. Krasner. There, right. there is a cross key sticker in the movie. Okay. After we'll the break. We'll be right back. that one and that one's talking back another one looks nervous and someone starts to crack it's hard to tell the good one tell them from the bad it's hard to face the future when you have to watch your back Follow all the money I see where it stops I trace it on its journey From the bottom to the top It stops in the gutter It rises up like flat It rises up like green And it's never coming back Take a look around and see who's got a future around here. You scratch each other's back and you start to advance your career. From the bottom of the pile to the grave and the good on high. Everybody's complicit with the big
always turn out wrong Take a look around and see who's gonna put around here Scratch each other's back and you start to advance your So, what are we talking about today on the show, Liam? Well, we are discussing <laughs> 2019's uh, Romanian documentary, Collective. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, this is a film about... So, it's, you know, it'd be easy to think it's about the fire at the club Collective. So, there's a rock mm. club in Bucharest called Collective. There's a fire during a performance there, and a lot of people are hurt. And there's enough corruption around just that, that this club was Mm -hmm. definitely not... Able to be open and not have any type of fire measures taken. But by the time the the documentary starts, that uh, controversy has already passed. And the new controversy is that these basically children really these young people who are hurt at this concert they're all in the hospitals in bucharest getting treated for fire uh for like non-fatal burns and such yes. like this but then they start dying in the hospitals and, and like the, and the, two and weeks the, after and the angles of this that you all need to understand is a going into it they know the, the hospitals fucking know they don't have burn wards. They're not equipped, and the burn yeah. wards they do have can only handle five to six people at a time. And there's like 60, 70 people who need attention, and the families are making requests to go to other countries because there's a program where uh, the health ministry will pay for you to go to other countries for medical treatment when they can't do it. And they're being denied. They're not letting them go to Germany or Austria or any of these other places to get medical treatment, even though they're welcome in those countries, because there's this idea of like, well, you're sending funding out of the country. So it's like, anyway, so uh, we're, we we actually find out that there's the, we follow these uh, reporters who, by the way, mm-hmm. write for a sports newspaper. They're not even yeah, like not even like a political like newspaper of no, any sort, really. No, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They yeah. write for this like the Sports Gazette, basically, and uh, they mm. do the investigation where they find out that like okay, all these kids, you know, young people are getting these crazy bacterial infections, and so they start to uh, examine the cleaning practices of the hospitals and what they discover is not only are the disinfectants they used bad in the first place mm-hmm. they're being yeah, diluted they're also yeah they're yeah uh, so true. officially they have 14 percent 
they're supposed to have 14% of the cleaning agent in the thing, which is already, to me, not a lot of percent. That feels like not a lot of percent <laughs> in the thing. But then what they find is that they're being diluted so that by the time they get there, they're like 2% of the cleaning yeah, they're agent. Like they're mostly 10% water. 10% of the cleaning agent. Yeah, 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 yeah. So brutal. It's so brutal. insane. And then... The movie goes off from there. Like that sounds like, oh, you you spoiled it. This is the first like fifteen or so minutes. Yeah, then as the even, documentary yeah. goes on, and um, I, before we even get into like how it's filmed and the style and all that, uh, Josh, what did you think of Collective? It definitely was like heartbreaking. Yeah. To show like it's it's you know how we said that uh, uh due to Batman maybe being autistic every every villain in the Batman story is like an aspect of Batman's personality taken sure. to an evil degree. Sure. This is exactly that with our healthcare system in America. Right. Like, this is ev- this is all the corner cutting bureaucracy that goes on in dealing with issues of public health, um, juxtaposed or uh, exponentially like um, taken to the level of people dying. Pure, pure gangsterism, pure criminality. Yeah, dude, it's fucked up. This movie is so brutal. It definitely left me with an empty feeling in the pit of my stomach. Just like, holy shit, this is what happens when the things that we see happening are taken to that degree. And it's, it's heartbreaking. This whole movie is heartbreaking. I mean, it's great. Don't get it wrong. But, man, uh, it's, it reveals some truths about just... Uh, healthcare and capitalism on a very broad scale that everybody who's ever had a hand in helping people as a hospital worker will have to have a pause about. Yeah. And yeah. that's saying a lot. It's, it's heavy. I mean, so w- we've talked about this before and I've talked about it on Twitter as well. Sometimes I struggle with documentaries where a compelling story will distract me from the quality of filmmaking such that I care about the story and I don't notice that the movie itself isn't that well made. So for example, mm-hmm. Donut King. I don't know if Donut King is a well made movie, but I find the subject so compelling that whatever la- is lacking in the storytelling or uh, uh, Mucho Mucho More is another one. I don't know that the mm-hmm. filmmaking is that great, but the subject is beyond compelling. This movie, I could straight up tell you, the subject is compelling. The story itself is horrifying. Not just the way that these people were abused, but how they're also like gaslit by their own government. And then mm-hmm. when the government finally like seeks reform and brings in a reformer, it is like only three or four months before they turn on this new reformer minister and try to fuck his shit up. And the levels of corruption and betrayal and whatever in a documentary. If you wrote this as a soap opera, people wouldn't fucking believe you. And this is a documentary. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself is compelling. This story as, yeah. a, as an essay, as an article in a paper, mm-hmm. I would read the whole fucking... If you wrote yeah, a whole magazine or a book compelling. about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the filmmaking, there's no voiceovers. There are no talking yeah. heads. It is just like a Wiseman style... Uh, camera uh, observational yeah, style director ex- exactly yeah but the so editing good. is done so that the tension raises up so it's not you could tell a very compelling story but have the the editing and the whatever make it feel very laid back this movie very intentionally 
amps up the anxiety. As the real story gets more anxious, the filmmaking gets more anxious, such that mm-hmm. this feels like a thriller. This is a thriller documentary. Yeah. It's a true yeah, story that's also a psychological thriller because you're like, how much more fucked up could they? I mean, when the when the when the newspaper discovers all this stuff and they break the story. The, the the depths to which the government fucking lies their ass off to get out of this shit. And then the, the mm-hmm. paper has to do more research and get more people involved. They even get to the point, y'all, where they discover um, that the people, the dude who owns the company, right, that is making the disinfectant for the hospitals, right, mm-hmm. not only is he in bed with all these gangster politicians, right, he has an offshore company that is yeah. selling him the ingredients. He's selling him, he's selling himself the, selling ingredients himself the ingredients at yeah. twenty times the cost and moving that cost onto the hospitals. So the hospitals are paying him for these overpriced ingredients, and it's going to him on the, in this offshore company. And then the motherfucker is killed. He dies, and yeah. oh, maybe he committed suicide. Maybe he didn't. It's. I was fucking losing it. I'm yeah. like, is this a the George Clooney movie? What is happening? So abhorrent. Yeah, it's like a Michael Crichton story. It's, yeah, 100%. it's intense. It is so fucked up. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, Unbelievable. I, I got to say, how do you feel? Like, you know, th- there are different styles of documentaries. There are movies like this mm. that are sort of more observational. There's movies like some of the Herzog stuff is more like compositional participatory he's, yeah he's yeah, creating yeah, yeah, yeah. something new there's ones that are more like traditional talking head style is what is your favorite kind of documentary and how do you think this movie stacks up to other documentaries i think this is my favorite style documentary i mean like i just saw the 76 days documentary the one about the the first 76 days of uh the outbreak of the coronavirus in actual right. Wuhan yeah. hospital yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. and that's kind of got the same thing right like it's got there there aren't there isn't any um, narrative there. There are a couple like maybe talking. No, there aren't any talking heady moments in that movie. It's all just like point blank, carte blanche. This is what's going on kind. Right. And right, right. I feel like this movie, um, even though both things are like these grave issues, right? Like that are addressing public health in such a way from foreign lands to us. Um, this movie has the editing edge to it. Right. And right. you could tell like, Oh wow, there is like it isn't just rote representation of events. Like there's like more than just newscaster style filmmaking going on here with this one. Um, that said, I think this is my favorite kind of documentary making. Huh? Yeah. I think that um, the the invisible um, camera is a lot more effective in telling a story from the story's perspective than it is like you know other movies that have um, you know people like the. Um, ride on the dance floor documentary or like any of the music documentaries yeah. you saw that has like participants of each scene talking about the impacts of certain things. Letting the story tell the story is the most effective way of making a documentary movie. And um, even though like, you know, we've seen a thousand documentaries of various movie scenes in various locales across the United States and beyond. And they all have like, you know, these interviews with like oh here's john reese talking about the san diego punk rock scene of like the 1980s and 90s like i get it and that's a cool insight but also when the story is this compelling as in like you know collective you can't help but be brought along for the entire ride of the of the whole runtime of the film and that's what i think makes a good documentary you know what i mean like i'll never think about you know it's going to blow again. You know what I mean? I'm never going to think about, um, 
uh, where were the other music documentaries that we saw? Like, I'm not going to think about those things again, you know, right. what I mean? like salad days and stuff like that, even though I think they're good and they're, they're, you know, they're great documents of a certain time in the space. This movie though, the implications of this story are so, I mean, granted, maybe it's just the gravity of the topic as opposed to like, Oh, what happened to Swizz? You know what I mean? Like I get it, but also like just from a filmmaking standpoint and just from a person who loves films, this movie is so just affecting. Well, I got it from I, a narrative lens and from a creative like camera lens. Yeah, I uh I mean, I think I agree with you. I will say this is harder because these people just happen to be like they didn't schedule this out with the newspaper people like this is the part where you'll discover that this guy has offshore accounts like they're just there documenting the situation and they happen to catch as it unfolds and 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 you can't you can't schedule that that that's not the editing is artistry because i'm sure they had thousands of hours of footage that they had that make a movie out of so like that part is artistic however a lot of this is luck or whatever and i don't want to um so like one of the things i forgot and I was so I was rambling so much and whacking on track on that one thing. <laughs> I forgot to bring up. I watched the Bee Gees documentary. Uh, oh yeah, how was that? Fucking beautiful. I loved it. Loved it. And I'm do you even, love the Bee Gees though? No, I'm not even a big Bee Gees person. I mean, I fully know that early Bee Gees is different than later Bee Gees. That like for a lot of people, people are like, oh, Bee Gees, they're a disco group, and it's like, uh, they became a group that played songs that we associate with disco, but they had a long career prior to that. In fact, those records are kind of their we're back together records. You know what I mean? So uh, that part of the documentary was interesting for me. But what they are very good at is a kind of 60s rock that a lot of people love that I'm just ambiguous on. But the movie itself is still compelling, and it is very much one of these like, you know, uh, self-reflective, but also kind of... uh, self-congratulatory you know it's a bit of a narcissistic blowjob kind of documentary right but it also Mm. isn't afraid to show some of the flaws and things like that too uh uh whatever it's it's it is what it is i find those documentaries very comforting so i don't want to say this is the true documentary and other documentaries are bullshit i fucking love that bg's documentary and while i'll agree with you that some of the ones we've covered are not as good as that i do like that kind of documentary i'll also say mm-hmm. that we, we covered on this show right the uh documentary about showgirls and you don't know me we covered that documentary. Mm-hmm. I also really love that kind of documentary where we're not seeing anyone, but we're hearing people's reflections on something while we're watching clips, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you see that in that movie. There's uh, some other movies that do that style of documentary, uh, including like Room 237 and stuff like that. Yeah, I just watched that guy's new movie too. I think I forgot to mention that also. Yeah, yeah I watched yeah. that in the Britney doc. So, yeah, uh, yeah that yeah. and uh, what is it called? Uh, Glitch in the Matrix. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. Sorry. So, all that to say. Um, I like that style too, so I want to lift that up as well. But I think mm. those other styles, the whether it's the Bee Gees, Talking Head, Feel Good Flick, or it's the fucking uh, academic conversation over clips, or my favorite documentary I think ever is um, uh, the the Look of Silence. You know, the follow up um, to the act. Yeah, of dude. Those movies, those beautiful, movies are so good. But I, yeah. I think Look of Silence is better for my taste. Look of Silence is better. It's more emotional. It's more reflective. Mm-hmm. It's more poetic. I just think it's a magical, if depressing, film. That being mm-hmm. said, this to me is better in the sense yeah. that 
it's it is catching lightning in a bottle. I don't think you can recreate mm. it. I think it's just magic yeah. that it happened. But the fact that it happened is so fucking awesome that. And again, let's really focus for a second here, y'all. The editing of this thing, you know. I, they're just following these people around, and they follow around yeah. the reporters. They follow around one of the few survivors as she attempts to make meaning out of what happened to her, and they follow around this health minister who's trying to do the right thing. But let's be clear. This health minister is trying to do the right thing without being too chaotic. Like, he's not – I mean, compared to our next uh, documentary – these are both reformers in a sense, right? But Larry Krasner mm. is basically a fucking anarchist compared to this guy. Yeah, he's All an this, activist. Active, yeah. yeah. All this guy wants to do is be slightly less evil. He doesn't want people to get sick at the hospital. That's all he wants. He doesn't want people yeah. to necessarily get fired. He just, but like, he inevitably has to make hard decisions because the shit is so fucked up. Like, he's like, oh, I'm sure it's just a couple of managers who, and it turns out like every hospital manager is is a corrupt political type who has no experience in hospitals. They're mm. all stealing money. They're all taking bribes. This man isn't like, like Krasner goes in knowing what he wants. And that the system, he wants it to be different. Broken, yeah. This Mm -hmm. guy just wants to do a good job, and in just wanting to do a good job, he gets fucking burned. Like they destroy this man, radicalized, and consequently burned just for wanting not people not to die for non-life threatening. All um, yeah. The issue they get him on that is so frustrating is he knows for a fact that if people can't go to the hospital without getting sick, they certainly can't get lung transplants. They just can't. Mm. And what the what the, the opposition party to him does is they make it sound like we're we're giving away lung transplants to other countries because this jerk off studied in another country and now he's for mm. them. He, they use xenophobia and as a as a person of color, Josh, you'll probably mm. relate to this with me. I forget about the xenophobia in Europe. To me, yeah. as much as they are obviously different cultures, and that's important to lift up to fight the lie of whiteness, I still mm. tend to think of these people as fucking white people. So the idea that in <laughs> Romania you could build up a lot of xenophobia against Germany is like a fucking mind but my my brain is exploding <laughs> that you could get yeah, yeah, people yeah, that yeah. riled up like he's given our money to Germany. Well, fuck that shit. You're in the European <laughs> Union. You're basically the same place. What? I, I it's like when people in other states have huge prejudices against other states. I don't get that. I like as someone who grew up in New Jersey but lived a lot in Philly too. This idea mm-hmm. that like New Jersey and and Pennsylvania are different fucking worlds is a lie I've never bought into. They are yeah. so related to each other. And Romania and Germany and Austria and all these fucking places, they're all related to each other. They have important differences, far more important than the differences between Jersey and Pennsylvania, for fuck's sake. Mm. But yeah. they have important cultural differences. But the idea that you could turn a whole country to support... Against a, another country, yeah. Well, and, and for this reason, everyone knows these hospitals aren't safe. So why are we fucking crucifying this man because he doesn't want there to be lung transplants... You can't go to the hospital without getting sick. What's going on? It's crazy. Yeah, dude. It was crazy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's so good though. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I feel like we've already I don't I don't think we've spoiled anything cuz there's still a fuck ton of surprises in this movie. It's a beautiful but dark movie. I don't want to But that's I don't the thing though, right? Like it's also a matter of public record. It's not right, like they invented right. anything. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like they didn't create a story. The story happened well, and they caught it. I mean, like you I, said, a lightning in a bottle scenario. 
I do kind of wonder though, like what is the response then in Romania to the movie since yeah. they kind of know these things? Is this like a surprise or, you know, like sometimes there's documentaries here about stuff that people know, but no one knows it. You know what I mean? Mm. So maybe yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, that yeah. there. I don't know. I will say for me, it's all a revelation. I didn't know any of this stuff. So it all plays out like a continually escalating horror movie. That being said, I was saying maybe we should move on to Philly DA just because I feel like we can't ruin this movie. I don't want anyone to think we're spoiling the movie. You can't spoil this movie. It's it's going to be great no matter what. But I could understand someone feeling like, well, I don't want you to talk about every aspect of the movie because I want there to be – I mean, again, for something that's public record, there shouldn't be surprises. But I swear yeah. to God, no one watching this movie will not be surprised, in my mind, yeah. because yeah, the yeah, yeah, level yeah. of Unless fucking, you're an actual monster. Yeah, 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 yeah. The levels of audacity in this movie of people's evil is just – Mind blowing! It's unbelievable, and it's 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 a very seeing how much corruption is going on and the threats against the press and stuff like that. This is a brave movie to make, and I'm I'm just amazed that it exists. Yeah, here, here, it's so good, and a hundred percent recommend. You got to see this movie; it's brutal. Well, let's switch gears to to the thing that sort of inspired this conversation, which was our man Andrew Welbrock having his uh, Sundance debut as. Let's be fair. One of many characters in the <laughs> docu series Philly DA. Though to be fair, when he came on screen, I clapped very hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, I watched the entire two-hour runtime of both episodes of the first two episodes of the series, just taking pictures of Andrew on my television with my phone. <laughs> yes, yeah, I did as well. Not I did as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, that's what it is. So um, there's this movie that just came out that that is part of an eight-part series that will be on PBS in March. And, or in April, right? April, I think, is the release. Yeah, I think um, so. Called Philly DA that highlights the uh, first years of transition of power to uh, District Attorney Larry Krasner, who is, like we had said, an actual activist towards police reform. He's and, a lawyer, uh, but he's an activist lawyer. Yeah, he was. They, they said it in the first episode he's the lawyer that you call if you get arrested at a protest. Or, uh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, it's a a very interesting discussion about the carceral state in America, but also in Philadelphia, which has the most incarcerated people per capita. And it's it's a very interesting, cool documentary made by two people that are Philly Philly people, Yoni Brook and uh, Ted Passan. Um, People who remember the 2008 Philadelphia Phillies World Series. Uh, championship will remember Ted as the dude who got his car flipped on Broad and Ellsworth when oh, the yeah, city rioted yeah. after the win, and then he made um, I believe he made like a GoFundMe to get a new car or something like that. It was pretty damn funny, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is a this is a very hometown movie, and this uh, stars again a uh, cross keys bass player and all around genuinely best dude that I know, Angie Wilbrock. So what did you think about this movie, Liam? Well, it's we say movie. It's a it, each episode's an hour, yeah. and it's the first two episodes. Yeah. I mean, to yeah. be fair, they played it at Sundance like it's a movie. And if you've been to a film fest, film fests do this sometimes with special series. I know at Fantastic Fest once they did a, a show. It was like the whole season of a show in a in in, in, a, in a one screening. Yeah, I mean, it was only five episodes, but it, you know, it, it kind of worked like a long movie. But um, so it's not that big a surprise. But you know, because of our personal connection, I think it's still worth talking about. And for me. Yeah, I think the this is a hard thing, right? So 
there's a few aspects here that I think we should elucidate for people. Whatever. We should Mm -hmm. talk about for people to get the context. One is the long, 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 long history of police abuse in Philadelphia, mostly around race. Though, to be fair, Philly cops have beaten up a lot of people. But it's clear that a lot of that bias is more towards black folks, even if we know people who've also gotten beaten up who weren't black folks that that's where the mm. the thing has been and that really started in its most despicable ways with Frank Rizzo who basically mm. i mean this yeah. city was basically <clears throat> ruled from Frank Rizzo being police chief to Frank Rizzo being mayor, mayor. it was ruled by a full on white supremacy fucking dictatorship when Frank Rizzo was in charge and that's just a fact and uh mm. in fact when i was working for hidden city philly one of the spots at hidden city philly was this wood shop and one of the stories about the wood shop is that this wood shop had a special where if you were a cop you could go and get what they called the rizzo special and they drill out the middle of your nightstick and fill it with lead and they did that for free it was a free wow. a free service to all the cops under frank rizzo so like again Maybe that didn't happen, but it's the sort of story that, like, because of who Frank Rizzo was, most Philadelphians are like, yeah, that makes sense. Now, now, <laughs> yeah, now, that tracks. But it's also worth knowing that people were very upset when they took down the statue of Frank Rizzo. So the thing you have to understand is this city was ruled by a Italian-American dictator who basically you can think of as El Duce for, like, almost <laughs> 20 years. And he's so beloved that when his statue came down, people got very angry. So, like, that yeah. is... That is the history of our of our city, honestly, which I don't live there anymore, but you know what I mean. And so like yeah. Krasner coming in is he's he, there's a few things going on there. And part of it is he's riding this feeling of like people are sick of the overreach of the police. And so the DA is part of that. And like I've had friends who are public defenders who were literally like the entire system is corrupt and it's really just about controlling poor people. And it's the worst mm-hmm. in juvenile court. There's a part of the show where they're talking about these to these juvenile uh, uh, prosecutors and they're really presented as maybe not so bad, but they're having trouble adjusting. Well, my friend who was a public defender for 10 years, that was his specialty was juvenile court. And he will straight up tell you that every single one of those monsters just belongs in the Hague. Like they are all Jeez. monsters, awful humans. Now, Andrew might hear that and feel very badly because they're his coworkers. But I'm just going off my <laughs> friend who was a public defender who was literally like, this system exists just to put teenagers in jail. That's all it's about. And like literally, guilt or not, doesn't even matter that the number one decision in juvenile court, and this was, you know, he was talking to me you know in the late o's early 2010s uh mm-hmm. was that if they had family like if someone showed up and they had no one there advocating for them a parent an uncle a neighbor a pastor they were probably going to get sent to juvie as a way to just like well they're safer in juvie than they are on the streets and their actual yeah. guilt or innocence was irrelevant it didn't matter and so for me watching this, I'm invested in Krasner. I'm invested in him, you know, advocating to change the system as a former defense attorney coming in and riding that wave. However, what the sh- these episodes start to highlight, but I think will become more in future episodes, is Philly is still a very dangerous place. So he has to yeah. both navigate the overreach of the district attorney's office and navigate the corruption of the Philadelphia police department while still prosecuting violent crime. No one there except for the most abolitionist of abolitionists. No one really is like, but you should let murderers not 
do whatever they want. Like people still yeah, yeah, want yeah. him to do his job, and that's a hard line to it's walk. A hard line to walk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like and, a difficult place to. I mean, nobody said being a district attorney or the, sure. the you know nobody said that that's an easy gig, right? But to do that in Philadelphia and also to have an eye towards justice. Well, that and, shit and is we we're fucking unbelievable. And we're talking about him being an activist, right? But it's pretty clear, even in these first two episodes, but I think it'll come up more later, the activist community isn't entirely behind him because a chunk of the activist community are not reformers. They want to tear the whole thing down and start over. So Krasner coming in and being like, I'm gonna make changes and things will be better, some of them don't believe him, even though he has this track mm. record of ac- advocacy and he has this track record of doing the right thing. Once you become part of the system, some people aren't going to have your back, even though they used to have your back before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's it's it's such a fine line to walk. And it's funny, too, because like just knowing Andrew, knowing the great dude and yeah. righteous dude that Andrew is, yeah. knowing that he's embroiled in all of this stuff, it simultaneously fills me with a sense of undying pride. Right, my friend, right, who right. genuinely wants to do the good thing and is like an embodiment of that impulse to do what's right for people. But seeing him in action in the movie was also just like, God damn, he's training cops on the stand. Like that shit is crazy. It's he I finds mean, the fu- he fucking finds this file. The DA has this secret file that Krasner's office discovers, specifically Andrew and and his coworker discover that is police they won't call to the stand because they're so fucked up. That they can't yeah. be trustworthy. That their their testimony isn't trustworthy. So they can't. It's called it's, the do not call list. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a private secret that they kept to themselves instead of giving it to public defenders and to the rest of the the public. And like you know, one of the activist types says, any police officer who's too corrupt or too whatever to testify shouldn't be a police officer. Why are they on yeah, the streets? Shouldn't be on the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny too because that scene made it into the trailer. Yeah, and uh, yeah. as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, "Yo, dog!" I texted Andrew, and I was like, "Dude, your muscles are bulging when you tear that file cabinet open, bro." Yeah, shit is awesome. And he was like, "Yeah, it was stuck." <laughs> God, I love you, Andrew. Andrew, I love you so much. I mean, yeah, 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 Andrew's yeah. in an interesting position because he was already in the office when Krasner came in, right? He wasn't part of the yeah the whatever, so he's having to adjust to this new thing. And you know, I think he's on board, obviously, because we we love Andrew and we think he's a good dude. But also, what what Krasner's trying to do is difficult, just because the base thing that Krasner is doing is a good thing. It is obviously good. Anyone who thinks it's not good is obviously a corrupt monster. However, mm. that doesn't mean he's going to do it right, right? Like, yeah. there are a lot of things that are motivated by good that you could do wrong. And so that's like yeah. the tension of the movie, or the movie, the show, is like, I'm on board with Krasner's mission. I'm not sold that he's going to do the right thing. And honestly, I wish I could say, well, I know what's going to happen. I don't know everything that's going to Some of the things that are in the show, I'm going to know because they reached me. But I don't live in Philly, and I don't keep up with all Philly news. So there's probably stuff that's going to happen that's going to surprise the shit out of me because I didn't know that's what happened, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's insane. The whole the, – that's the thing. The, these filmmakers uh, – Yoni, Brooke, and um, and Ted Patton, they did such an awesome job of capturing yeah. all yeah. of this tension. It's such that um, it's so well done, you wouldn't think that these people are as young as they are to make sure. it. Like, yeah, they're yeah. just a little bit younger than us, I believe. And um, 
you know, the this shit looks amazing. Just like in Collective, the editing of it all just looks so good. Now, different from Collective, this movie has talking heads. There, there are parts where Anthony talks to the camera, and uh, it's cool. It's good. Yeah, um, I think it, I think it works really well. I think the the difficulty they're going to have, right, is that they want to show all sides. This can't just be about Krasner. Even if it's about Krasner messing up, it can't just be him. It's got to show a variety of the Philadelphia experience. Well, that's hard, especially when the FOP, not the cop on the street yeah. per se, but the no, FOP, the order police, they are yeah. mo- they are seriously two episodes into the series, they are the villains of the show. Now, I don't think that's a decision by the filmmakers, I think they're just trying to show all the different stuff going on. But the dude who runs the FOP should be, uh, well, I don't believe in prison, so I won't say he should be in prison. He should be in a re-education camp. Is that worse? I think that's worse. The dude is a monster. He's clearly a monster. And so uh, the filmmakers have to do this thing where they show a variety of perspectives on Krasner's administration, but make it clear the sheer obvious immorality of the Fraternal Order of Police. That's not an easy thing to do. That's going to be hard for them to manage. On the first two episodes, I think they've done a very good job. I think introducing some police of color and really highlighting Mm -hmm. that the FOP doesn't always represent the interests of policemen of color, I think is a very good thing to do, especially when the FOP, as we know from the news, I'm sure it'll get covered on the show, came to the defense of a police officer who's exposed as having visible white power tattoos. Remember that uh, big story? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. And so that's a thing that happened. I met that dude at a show. Yep. You met him at a show. Yeah. Really? At a Morrissey concert in Reading, which I guess in retrospect makes sense, but you know, whatever. Fuck. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True story. Well, so they're going to have to talk about that on the show. And, you know, so obviously there's the FOP is not on the side of all police officers or else they would have gotten rid of that guy. But on the other hand, um, that doesn't mean that the police officers of color are going to be sold on Krasner because, you know, mm-hmm. Krasner as an activist is not a diplomat. I th- I think he's no. doing a good job, but I could see why some people are turned off by the job he's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I definitely know a lot of people, especially well, when I was working at the hospital, there are a lot of people that are like, this guy's a monster. But it's just like, I don't know, like the, the social justice system in Philadelphia is so fractured that at this point, mental hospitals and prisons are the same thing. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff yeah. that like, just, yeah. there is no sensitivity to them. And like Krasner being in the DA position tries to shed that that distinction and that light on it, but it also gets lost in translation to people on the ground level a lot that aren't cops. And I, I just, I mean, there's so much there. There's so much. Well, there. even in those first two episodes, you know, you have these prosecutors in the juvenile office who like to them, their job is to help kids in theory, but really mm-hmm. they end up just being like, well, but if a kid did the crime, then they have to do the yeah. time. And, and the reality is like the attitude of the Krasner people is like, these are fucking children. Maybe when a children when a chi- when a children when a child <laughs> fucks up, maybe what they need is something else entirely and not jail time. You know what I mean? And so yeah, like yeah, yeah. and I straight up think that's I mean, I'm very much in the idea that many criminals, not even just children, need something else other than punishment. And the idea that every crime needs punishment is some leftover Jesus bullshit. And that's like, as someone who's still kind of stoked on Jesus, you guys are just <laughs> literally 
trying to please the old man in the sky. Because otherwise, there's the punishment itself has no meaning, really. Like, for someone to come in and say, okay, well, I was hurt by this person, and the only way I'll feel better is if they sit in a box for 20 years. Actually, in literal reality, in actual reality, that doesn't help you at all. There's no benefit to you if that happens. It's purely something you've made up in your head because of the society we live in. Um, now, that doesn't mean that person should necessarily go free. I think they should, but that's something I have to argue, and I should talk about mm. what they need instead and how they can make reparations instead of going to prison. Um, but the issue, and I think the show does a good job with this, is that those of us who see that, what I think of as truth, still have to wrestle with the fact that some people, even if what they need is other kinds of help, are still dangerous. And it's that yeah. danger that you have to navigate. And I think that's what Krasner's going to run into, especially because he isn't an abolitionist. He's a reformer. And when you're a reformer, yeah. you bear a lot more weight of people asking you about the effectiveness. Okay, you're trying to mm -hmm. reform this. Well, how effective are your reforms? Well, the dude just fucking started. So it's not really that effective yet at all. It's a long-term mm. thing. But people are going to want to know immediately how effective is what you're doing. For abolitionists, I mean, I'm looking for the whole thing to come down. So if someone's like, well, how effective is that going to be? I'm like, motherfucker, I don't know. Like that's, you know, like literally that's like saying to a slavery abolitionist, well, how effective will cotton plantations be once we get rid of slaves? I don't give a fuck. Like, that's not the point. The point to me is this isn't just. That's how I feel about prisons. They're just wrong. So, like, yeah, we're going to have to figure something else out, but that doesn't make the thing itself, you know, any any less wrong. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, and you I, know. I get that, but also, dude, I live in Kensington. Oh, I know. You know what I mean? So I can't be a full abolitionist because I do. There are instances where policing is important. Further than also living in the cash money, I also worked at Episcopal for 20 years and the concept that these people could just be like sick people, violent people could just be walking around like doing whatever without any threat of consequence to these actions or these but that's a, But that's the thing. It's not actually – the whole point is that policing and prisons don't actually work. They don't keep anyone safe. No, they don't. Everyone is more but, unsafe because of them. So the idea that then the other option is no consequences is not the thing at all. It's that – there has to be another way for us to deal with these issues that actually works instead of pretending this thing works. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so but I think I, that's the argument. And I mean, like, I've also worked in, in these circles of therapeutic rapport. You know what I mean? And, like, I can say for a fact that there are definitely people that are beyond that reach. There are definitely people that are beyond the, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapies and all these other things that we have to try and get people not killing people, to try and get people to like, I, it's not even a question of staying in line. It's just a question of not hurting other people. You know what I mean? And like that in and of itself, I mean, I don't know how it gets accomplished. I really don't. That's all well, I, I mean, because I think that the problem is that, and this is true with every situation, right, is that we're always forced to think too small. So, like, the issues, like, let's say we were in a whole different conversation about education, right? And eventually you get into this thing where it's like, well, this doesn't work or that doesn't work and we can't. Well, that's because talking about education doesn't work if you're not also talking about 
resources for parents and families. So like no matter what you do to reform a school, if the children are living on the edge of poverty and are food insecure and are not safe at home, that's a thing. And when mm-hmm. you have people who are desperate, who are treated poorly, who don't have access to mental health care, who have all their issues exacerbated, then eventually you're going to have more and more people who are too unstable to ever conform to society. So the reality is while we have the other things we have in place, no reform is going to work. Like that's that's part mm. of the issue here. And so then the response is either you you have to think in a huge way and be like, okay, how do we get all of these things going in a way where we're building something new that is interactive with each other and is an ecosystem of care, or you just give up and go, well, everything's fucked, so let's make everything <laughs> slightly. And the problem for me, the, the issue I have with a lot of uh, you know full on you know, uh, leftist revolutionary stuff is that I also am not uh, against uh, harm reduction, which is really what a lot of people get down to is that at some point, every bit of harm reduction to someone who's a full like revolutionary feels like amelioration. So like you're Mm -hmm. making things less bad so we'll never have true change. But like I can't ignore human suffering that way. So there has to be some amount of harm reduction, which is why I love someone like Krasner, even if I think the whole system is corrupt, he's still trying to do the right thing. And the idea that like, well, he's just enabling the system, I don't think is fair at all. But I Mm. do think that if Krasner's doing what he's doing and other people are working with him in other parts of society, even the people who are agitating for bigger change, that's fine. That's what coalitions are about. And so I, mm. I just don't believe the idea that like, you know, it, I, in a way, I think sometimes moderates and extremists complement mm. each other. Moderates, because moderates get to write off extremists, they never have to make hard changes because they just go, well, that's never going to work, so we can just do this little thing. But extremists Mm. sometimes, not always, but sometimes, never have to do anything practical because they're like, well, practical changes enable the system, and I just want to tear the system down. And I'm like, you two are excusing each other's inaction. What we need is, is realistic, moderate changes until we have the, the the leverage to enact radical changes. And both those things have to be on the table for us to talk seriously about these things. Because while, the two, while those people are arguing with each other, uh, people are still hungry, they're in prison for bullshit, they're getting beat up by police or killed by police, they're, they're not having opportunity, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just mm-hmm. so, one of the things about watching One Night in Miami that's so depressing is how different things are and how things are still similar. And it's like, oh, right. Like, uh, you know, we just find new ways of continuing the same bullshit. And, uh, and you know, watching this thing, that's how I'm feeling, right? Larry Krasner, I, again, I'm not saying he does everything right, and maybe in the sh- watching the show we'll find out things that he fucked up, whatever. But the idea mm. that he's trying to help people, right, is so similar to this poor motherfucker over in Romania <laughs> yeah. for yeah, collective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say what you will about Krasner's attitude, and maybe some of his policies were missteps, but he's doing something that no one else that was on the ballot is trying to do, which is actually make the system more just while also trying to make the system work. He's not tearing the system apart. And that's what, that's part of the frustration as someone who does believe in radical change. People who believe in radical change have to accept that they're more moderate friends, which I think Krasner's not really a moderate. He's pretty radical, but he's still within Mm -hmm. the system. They get shit on like they're radicals. 
and we yeah. write that off. But it's true. I mean, look at fucking Biden right now. Man has done basically barely anything. A couple of things here and there. But he's gotten hardly anything done. And people are already decrying the communist state that he's enacting. You know what I mean? Like, the yeah, dude yeah, 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 just yeah. does a couple of little things and people are shitting on him. So there has to be some feeling of like... it. it I want to call all these people to more radical things, but it has to be a welcoming call that's encouraging and not like a fuck this fucker in his fucking face. Now, granted, yeah. I, I don't want to tone police people. If that's your vibe is to be the angriest guy in the world. Cool. That's your vibe. I'm not going to shit on you. I just think my tactic is never going to be I'm going to be the angriest guy in the world. I'm always going to be <laughs> compassionate to people who are on the same team because if you're watching the show and you're thinking, well, I think Kreisner could be even more radical. Sure, sure, sure. But look at these fucking police. The FOP yeah. that he's dealing with are actual fascist monsters. Like, they are yeah. inhuman monsters. So, like... Yeah, they're out here saying that there's nothing wrong with the system. Oh, the, the, no. the biggest carceral population of the country. And they're like, it, oh, yeah, no, it's great. It should be tougher. They're like, there's not enough people. I mean, that fucking Lynn Abraham interview, I was like, whoa. whoa. I've never yeah, been more hard, angry man. at an old lady in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so brutal, yeah. so brutal. So anyways, well, all that to say, we love you, Andrew. Uh, again, I'm willing to watch the show. I know people don't, not everyone likes Krasner, so I'm willing to see the show and see like, maybe there are things I will disagree with him about. As of episode, two episodes in, I'm like, let's do this thing. 100% on, yeah, I'm yeah, so fucking on board. Yeah, 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 it's so great. I love that Andrew's a part of it. It's really cool. I hope people will the watch funniest, it. The funniest thing about Andrew being a part of it is that, you know, we had band practice after these days. Right, so like this right. would happen where, where like me and Bo would meet Andrew downtown and Andrew would drive us to Dave's house where we practice. And like he'd just have a backpack with his like business clothes in it and then like be wearing like, you know, a Descendants t-shirt and stuff and just be like, ah, today was a little rough. Let's go make some punk rock. And it's like watching the movie. I'm like, yeah, what? Like, man, this is what you were dealing with moments before picking idiots yeah. like me and Bo up yeah. in, in your car to go to Dave's house to make yeah. more dumb people music. Like, oh, my God, dude. Like watching the documentary just elevated my already astronomical love and respect for Andrew Welbrock. So I agree. I don't know what kind of takeaway that is or makes me what type of critical eye that allows me to put on this movie. But man, fucking love you, Andrew. God damn. Well, and again, I think, like you said, it's a it's a full season. Right. So maybe things will happen, whatever that like we go. Oh, OK, this I could see why this would piss people off. But the fact that Andrew is doing something so important, even if. Uh, you know, uh, someone's out there watching it going, well, I don't know if I agree with this or that, you know, from whatever direction. You know, some people watch this and feel like it's not tough, that Krasner's not being tough enough and all this stuff, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. Point is, I don't see how anyone can watch this and not be charmed by our man, Andrew Welbrock. He is Agreed. just a shining light of just rationality and charm. And I, I just love him. I love you so much, Andrew. Yeah. I hope you're listening it's to this. It's so good. It's you. funny, too. As soon as, as soon as Andrew came on the on the show in his office, you see uh, the Kid Dynamite poster that he has that um friend of the show, Mark Beamer, put up for his uh, Shirts for a Cure 20th anniversary show that they did at the church. And as soon as it happened, I texted Beamer. I'm like, yo. And you got your poster into the Philly DA doc, just so you know. And there's a cross key sticker in there, just saying. <laughs> it's very cool. I don't know how many people watching it are going to figure out, like, oh, yeah, this is the punk DA. Like, I don't know if that comes across, <laughs> but maybe it does. I don't know. It's still good. It still makes me happy. 
But, you know, again, nothing I mean, happier than being friends with Andrew. So I, I mean, you know, if there's a season two, they got to have a segment where they follow him to band practice, you know, give some more texture to the doc. You know, <laughs> what's going on in this Andrew guy's life, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So Philly D.A., um, it's pretty awesome. And I hope uh, everybody gets a chance to see it. It's going to be available on the PBS app, apparently. I don't yeah. really know what's the what with that. So I think you know. I, I I don't know. I think you can access the PBS stuff through Amazon, which might be easier for some people than getting the whole whole ass PBS app. But then again, a lot of people I know do have the PBS app because if you get it, there's a lot of cool doc. I know PBS has done a lot of cool shit. So there's a lot of cool documentaries mm-hmm. on there. For me, they had that show, that Mind of a Chef show, I really liked. Um, and I think you know, for a while there, I remember everyone was obsessed with uh, Downton Abbey. So a lot of people, I think, got yeah. that PBS app for that. So I don't know. I, I have PBS through Amazon, though. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I guess I do, too, because we have it where Amazon Prime members as well. So. Well, I, I, no, I okay. mean, I, I think I pay extra for it. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. okay. Good to know. Good to yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. All right. So anyway, so whatever you got to do, I would highly recommend watching this movie, especially for the star that is Andrew Welbrock. And um, also just for the mad truth that this thing spits, it's really, really interesting. And it's, uh, it's, it's very uh, salient for people who are concerned with issues of justice in Philadelphia. So highly recommended. Congratulations yeah. to the filmmakers, Yoni Brooke and Ted Passan. Dudes, well done. This is awesome. Yeah, I got to say, great job. I, I wish I could have caught their Q&A, um, but wasn't an option for me as a latecomer, too. This is the only Sundance thing I watched was these, this LAD <laughs> thing. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm really stoked on it, and I'm really happy that people are going to come to appreciate some of the work that Andrew is a part of. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm sure saying that cross-key sticker, soon your band will explode across the PBS scene, and you'll have PBS Probably punks. Probably not a thing. PBS punks, PBS everywhere. punks going out yeah. to watch floral shirted misery. Yeah, 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 no, yeah not yeah, a yeah. thing, not a thing. But um, you know, hey, this movie is awesome. So yeah, can't wait All to right. check out the other the other episodes. All right, thanks for listening, y'all. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And um, you know, hit us up, man. We want to talk to you too. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. We have social cool. media. Find us on the socials. Yeah, find us. If you're already listening to this, you probably already follow yeah, us. Yeah, so yeah, cool. but it's just the name of the show: C I N E P U N X on all the socials. Also, check out some of the other podcasts on the on the network. Check out our sponsors. Check out our Patreon. Uh, yeah, you know, tell a friend. Tell a friend about the show. Yeah, and holler at your peoples. We'll talk to you soon. We love you. All right, episode one twenty eight done and done. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love horror business. The horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.